The Bible reading today is from 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed you that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is God's word. Thanks, James. Morning, everyone. Let's pray uh, as we turn to God's word together. Let's pray together. Father, how we need you to speak to us. We're, we're not the church in Corinth, and yet we need your word just as much as they did. So please, Lord, speak to us as we uh, look at your word this morning, that we might be changed for the honor and glory of Jesus' name. Amen. A divided party cannot unite a divided nation. And that's what uh, Home Secretary uh, declared this week. Uh, in the wake of uh, the local council elections. What do we need to do? Well, a, a divided party cannot unite a divided nation. And he's right, isn't he? Where there is division, um, everything else sort of grinds to a halt. Uh, maybe you've seen that in a, in a workplace uh, where there's division in a, in a team, and it's just very hard to get anything uh, done. Certainly true in political parties at the minute. You spend all your time sort of maneuvering around, uh, trying to position yourself, uh, trying to get one up uh, on the other group, that it's impossible uh, to do anything useful. Um, there is nothing more damaging, I think, than a, than a church that is uh, divided, that is full of division. 
A division, uh, not usually uh, in, in churches over, over theological issues. It can be that, but, but most often it is just over personality. Um, maybe you've experienced that in the past in a, in a church you've been part of and, and been very burned uh, by it. It's a very damaging thing. It's exhausting uh, and it damages uh, the church and those involved. Um, if you're not yet uh, a Christian this morning, maybe one of the reasons, uh, one of the things that puts you off becoming a Christian, joining a church, it's just that so often Christians seem to be marked by division, and they're always falling out and, and disagreeing uh, with one another. Uh, they're no different, uh, maybe, to the world around them. And we're in the book of 1 Corinthians, and, and last week we said that the problem with the church in the 1 Corinthians was essentially that um, the church was very like the world. The church should have been very distinct from it, uh, the culture that it was in, and yet it was very hard to distinguish uh, between the two groups. They were very like uh, the world in which they lived. And there were three things uh, that we said about the Corinthian church that it was important to know. The Corinth as a city and the church in particular were successful. Um, it's where you would be if you were uh, the up and coming. Uh, it's where you wanted to make your name, uh, make a name for yourself, Corinth. The Corinthian church had sort of imbibed that. It was sex-obsessed. Anything goes in Corinth when it comes to sexual ethics. And they were spiritual, by which they meant they sort of had a pick-and-mix approach uh, to their religious life. A little bit of this over here, a little bit of that over there, mix it all together. Very spiritual. And Paul's uh, given us his introduction. We looked at that last week, the first 10 verses. We're focusing this morning on, on verses 10 to 17, where he addresses the first big issue uh, that he's going to tackle in this church. And it is that they are divided. The message, uh, as we look at these verses this morning, is, is fairly straightforward in one respect. It is don't let division, uh, don't, don't divide over small, uh, small differences, particularly differences over human leadership. Don't let that be what divides you. Be united, Paul will say, around the cross of Christ. Don't divide into your little factions and little groups. Be united uh, in Christ. As we look through the passage, we're going to see uh, three things. We're going to see the, the appeal that Paul makes. We're going to see the issue that's causing the division. And we're going to see finally the antidote to that division. Uh, it's on the, on the handout, if that would be helpful uh, for you to follow through. Firstly, then, the appeal that Paul makes. No division. Let me read again from verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Paul's message is simple. No divisions. Don't divide. And literally, the word there, when he says no divisions, is, is the word for, for a tear or a rip uh, in a garment. And these are, these are no small disagreements. These are fundamentally damaging. Uh, the church, they are hurtful and harmful. They tear the very fabric of what it is to be church together. And Paul urges them to, to agree in what they say. And remember that Corinth, well, it's the church with all the speaking gifts. Well, they're incredibly articulate and persuasive in Corinth. But instead of using those gifts to build up the church and encourage one another, 
They're using their, their gift with words to divide, uh, to put barriers uh, between people, form little gangs of their own. Divisions, they're usually obvious from, from what people say, aren't they? You can, you can tell that again by the, uh, the politicians. From all their infighting and their positioning, uh, it, it comes across when they're asked a, a direct question and they give quite a roundabout answer, but it's pretty clear that they're not really on side uh, at all. They're maneuvering. The unity that Paul wants the Christians to have uh, is much deeper than just the sort of party line um, you know, to, you know the message. Get on, get on point. Uh, get on message. No, it's 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 not a three-line whip uh, to to rally support to get everyone to somehow unite round together for the sake of I don't know an election or something. No, it is much deeper than that sort of surface-level uh, unity. Um, they are to be perfectly united, Paul says, in mind and thought. In other words, they are, they are to aim to be united at a very fundamental level. And the things that are most dear to them, most important to them, they are to be united. That's a pretty hard task, particularly in a church that is very far from that, as the Corinthian church is. But Paul wants them to get that this is, this is absolutely vital. He appeals to them. It's a strong word. It, 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 it's not a suggestion. Um, it's not sort of wishful thinking, wouldn't it be nice if uh, we could be a bit more like this? It's not an aspiration that's, that's so far off that they're never going to achieve it. No, Paul pleads with them in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus who has given them all the gifts that, that their church has, that Jesus is urging them to work now for unity. And it shows how, how seriously Paul takes uh, the issue of division. Um, but he's, he's, not, he's not wanting to scold them, uh, sort of look down on them from above like, I don't know, like a headmaster um, issuing a, a decree from, from the office. No, he, he gets alongside them. He calls them brothers and sisters. There's a, there's a family bond between Paul and the church that reflects what the church should be, a united family. And that's why, that's why the unity matters so much isn't just a, a, a desirable thing. It is absolutely essential to who they are because they are family. They are brothers and sisters. Now, I don't think he's suggesting that the church are never going to have disagreements. They're never going to have differences of opinion. And that, 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 I guess, isn't true of any family, but there is to be a unity at the heart of the church that is absolutely vital. I guess we, we get that a political party uh, can be divided, um, Yes, it's going to cause a bit of bother, but it's, it, it's, not, it's not a disaster uh, for everyone involved. But when a family is divided, well, that's just miserable. And it is that serious when there's division within a church. It's miserable. We'll look in a moment um, at, the, at the specific um, division, the thing that was causing division. But, but for now, it's, it's worth just noting how seriously God takes division in the church. And it's not trivial, uh, it's not secondary, it's not unimportant. There are loads and loads of, of problems in the Corinthian church. We'll see them over the coming weeks. Loads of things they're doing wrong in, in the way they're living, in the things that they're teaching, the way that they organize their church meetings. But the first thing that Paul has to deal with is their division. 
Um, it's that serious. So I wonder, do we, do we take division uh, that seriously uh, within our church? I think on the whole, we, we can look and, and be really thankful uh, for the unity that God has, has given to us uh, as a church, if you're part of the church here. In many ways, I don't think we are like the Corinthian church uh, to this extent. But we can take that for granted. And we can be soft on it. And often it, it, it'll start out as just a, a small thing um, that we, we, sort of, um, we sort of let get between us uh, and someone else. I guess in a, a congregation of this size, a church of this size, if you have a disagreement with someone, if you, if you don't get on, there is division you can just sort of ignore it. Um, you can just avoid them uh, on a Sunday morning, just chat to someone else over coffee, and, and never really have to deal with it. That approach might work in, in other places. We might do that at work. Uh, if there's a colleague we find particularly difficult, but, but in the church, um, that just won't do. We're not to be casual um, about division and unity. Our unity matters, and so we shouldn't be content uh, when there is division uh, among us. That's the first thing. Paul appeals to these, these Christians. No division. Secondly, then, he, he, he takes them to the issue causing the division, and that is an elevation of human personalities. Verses 11 and 12, let me read again. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. See, Paul's got wind of, of the division, the quarrels uh, that are happening the, in this church. And he knows that it's so serious, he's not going to let it go. I mean, he needs to tackle it. And the divisions basically are, are based on different factions that have formed around uh, the different leaders that the church has had. See, everyone in the church, they had their little favorites. And it was getting in the way uh, of church unity. It's a pretty common human experience, isn't it? This sort of clique forming, forming a little gang. Um, you get it in the playground of your primary school. Um, who's, whose group are you in? Oh, I'm in, I'm in Sandy's gang. Oh, right. Well, that means you can't come into our fort because you're not in the right gang. I wonder if you remember that from your primary school days. But you, you get it all over the place as well, don't you? You get it in your workplace. Um, little gangs for maybe uh, those who, who like to suck up to the boss, uh, always toe the line. Those who, who enjoy being the grumblers, um, always getting at, at the boss for, for what they're up to. You get it, you get it on the streets uh, of London in rival gangs and the consequences that brings. It's a common human experience, and I guess the church is no different. Especially in a place like Corinth, where, um, where they loved uh, those who were successful. They loved people who could hold the attention of a crowd and um, amaze people with their wit and their skill. And so it would be very common uh, in that culture to, to sort of get behind uh, a public figure. Oh, they're my favorite public speaker. Oh, no, I like them. And you can imagine how that began uh, in the Corinthian church. I suppose there was, there was the old guard. There was those who had been around the longest in the church, and those from, who had been converted from the very beginning. And they were in Team Paul. 
See, Paul had been the founder of the church, and he had been the one that had brought the gospel message, the one through whom many people had come to believe. It was really his church, after all. I mean, he was the original leader, and the original is always the best, so I follow Paul. That's what some of them were saying. But, but others, well, they, they felt that group was a bit old-fashioned. And they were a bit more forward-thinking, a bit more uh, revolutionary. They, they liked Apollos. I follow Apollos. They liked his cutting-edge uh, preaching. I mean, back in Acts 18, we're told a little bit about Apollos. He was a learned man. He had a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. And he had been instructed the way of the Lord. And he spoke with great fervor. See, if you liked passionate, uh, engaging preaching, then Apollos was your man. I follow Apollos. He's just much more compelling uh, than Paul. He's just a little bit dull. But then there were others um, for whom, well, Apollos was fine, but he wasn't, um, he wasn't as well known in outside circles uh, as others. Sure, he was, he was a big name in Corinth, but elsewhere, not really known. No, if you wanted a big name, if you wanted a man with real influence, then you declare, I follow Cephas. I follow Peter, the apostle. After all, he was the one with the Jerusalem connections. He was the one that was there with Jesus. He's the one that all the other leaders listened to. I follow Cephas. These little cliques that had formed it's important to recognize they hadn't formed because of theological differences. Uh, they weren't, they weren't um, uh, discussions of what is true and right and what should we teach. They were essentially personality, uh, cults, cults of personality. And these leaders themselves, well, they were all gospel men. They were all teaching uh, the same message, the right message. And, and it wasn't that they had set up um, these little gangs wasn't that Peter and Apollos and, and Peter wanted to be, to be raised up in that way. You know, they would have been horrified at the idea, and in fact, Paul is here, that, that there's a gang doing it in his name. Now, these factions, they were all down to, to personality, to preference. Other people uh, uh, raising up at these human personalities. And I guess you can understand that, can't you? You can understand uh, the different groups with their, their favorite leader. But why then does Paul um, say that some of them are saying, I follow Christ? Um, isn't, isn't that what you should be saying? Isn't that the answer? Well, that is what they should be saying. But even then, uh, there was a group within Corinth who were using that as a way to exclude others, as a way to set themselves apart from others in the church. Oh, we're the, we're the truly spiritual ones. Uh, we follow Christ. It was like sort of ultimate trump card. While everyone else is arguing, we're sort of on some other level. But actually, they were just using the name of Jesus to divide, uh, divide the church. And it sounds pretty, it sounds childish, doesn't it? It sounds like a little playground feud. Um, whose gang are you in? But I think there are ways in which that cult of personality can be alive and well, uh, even in the church today. I think it is a, a, a particular danger as, as we, as Christians who live in London, um, a city that just like Corinth um, is based on success and, uh, you know, the big companies led by charismatic CEOs. And we can, we can sort of imbibe that as a church. We take that in too. 
You know, there are, there are the big names uh, with their, their big successful uh, churches and ministries. Now, they, they may not be billing themselves as, as the one to follow, but we sort, of, we sort of like putting ourselves into a little box over here. How often, I guess one diagnostic thing, how often do we, do we hear churches described as so-and-so's church? Oh, CCM, that's, that's Matt Fuller's church. That's Phil Alcock's church. That's, no one says it's Scott Fury's church, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, we, we do that, don't we? And in one way, it's, it, it, you know, maybe it's harmless, but in another way, uh, it just shows what we think uh, about God's church. I guess it is okay, isn't it? It is okay to be thankful uh, to those ministries that have had an impact uh, on us. It's right uh, to thank God for uh, those whose preaching we've sat under or uh, those who read the Bible with us and, and, and had a particular impact on us. But it's not okay when that becomes a means of excluding others. Oh, you haven't been to there or you haven't done that. Mm. No thanks. Most of us, we wouldn't start out wanting to form our little factions, but that is where it can end up uh, very easily. Maybe with a a careless comment or or an opinion that we express that maybe we'd better not to express. Um, Here's an example. Let me try and flesh out how it might begin uh, in a church. You're uh, you're chatting to another member of your small group um, over coffee after service. And you say, well, I wonder, um, I wonder who's leading the Bible study at small group this week. Oh, I really hope it's Sally. Because Sally's so clear and really helpful in the questions that she asks. I mean, not like Bob. Bob's, I don't understand any of Bob's questions. And the, person, the other person says, oh, yeah, 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 no, I, I, think, that, I think that too. I think, yeah, I think you're right. Sally is, Sally's much better. Uh, than Bob actually and almost without thinking about it your, your little faction uh, has formed and so when you uh, when you get to a small group that week and it's Bob leading the study well the two of you just catch each other's eyes and slightly you know you roll the eyes or when it's when it's Sally and you, you just give each other a little little smile across the room and I guess that, that sort of thing, it, it won't go unnoticed uh, by the others uh, in our group. And, it, and everyone else starts to wonder, well, wonder what the inside joke is. Wonder what, they, what they're talking about, what, what they know that we don't know. And see, what starts fairly innocently uh, could end up pretty damaging to, to group dynamic. Or it, it can be very subtle in this danger. And why is that such a big deal? I mean, on, on the surface, you might think, why is that? Why does that even matter? It's harmless, isn't it? Everyone has their favorite. Everyone has their little gang. But these little gangs, they were causing tears, rips in the very fabric of, of the church. See, to elevate uh, human leaders is to deny something at the very heart uh, of the gospel. That is that there is only one Lord and Savior. And it is none of the people who we like to follow. 
That's why Paul asks in verse 13, is Christ divided? And the answer is no. The whole church knows the answer is no. But by dividing into the little factions, the little groups here, there, and everywhere, it is as if they're chopping Christ up into little pieces and a little bit with that group over there and a little bit with this group over here. Paul says that's crazy. Christ is not divided. Don't do that. That's the issue that is causing such division. It is an elevation of human personalities. What then, what then are they to do about it? What is the antidote to this problem, this division? Well, the antidote to the division is the cross of Jesus, the cross of Christ. Let me read from verse 13 again. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that they were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. See, Paul focuses in on, on the group that's, that claims to be following him. And he, and he shows them just how foolish they are to do that. Was Paul crucified for you? I mean, obviously no. They know that. Was it Paul who was willing to give his life to pay the price for your sins? Was it Paul who bore the Father's wrath so that you could be welcomed in? They, they get it. No. But see, informing that I follow Paul little group, and they are letting Paul take the place of Christ. Now, none of them would have said that they were doing that, but that is in reality what they were doing. And that is crazy, Paul says. Only Christ was crucified for you. Don't let anyone else uh, take his place. And he asked him another question very similar. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Is it Paul who washes away your sins? Is it being united to Paul that makes you part of God's people? Well, no. But in elevating Paul to the point where only his ministry is, is the one worth following, well, they are letting him take the place of Christ. Don't do that, Paul says. Paul's delighted that, that he's only baptized a few of them so that none of them can use that as a, as a way of claiming special privilege and excluding others. Only Jesus can wash you clean and welcome you in. So don't, don't start to draw lines uh, where there shouldn't be any. Now, I'm guessing that, that none of us would claim that someone else had been crucified uh, for us other than Jesus. But we're not saying we've been baptized into somebody else's name. But we can functionally, in the way we operate, let others take Christ's place, can't we? We draw lines, uh, and there are those who are inside, and there are those who are outside. Some of those things that those might be, you know, I've sat under a, a certain teaching ministry. You know, I, I, I used to hear Dick Lucas or Richard Cookin preach every week. And I've listened to all of John Piper's sermons or I've read all of Tim Keller's books or whatever it is. And those are all good things. And by all means, thank God for those ministries and the impact that they've had on your life. 
But don't let those individuals, don't let any individual take the place of Christ in your affections. And don't think that that just because you've had certain privileges, that makes you superior uh, to others. Don't use that as a way of excluding others, just pushing others outside. See, where we wrongly elevate uh, human personalities, we are lessening the work of Christ. We are emptying the, par, the, the, the cross of its power, if that were even possible. We're making the cross less, little, as if it is not the thing that saves us. That is why the antidote to these divisions um, is not an elevation of human personalities, but an elevation of Christ uh, and his cross. That's why uh, Paul is so keen to, to remind them that Christ sent him not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, to preach the good news of what Jesus has done for his people. See, Paul's just the messenger. It's not the messenger who brings the power. We often say, don't we, don't shoot the messenger. Uh, don't shoot the messenger, but don't elevate the messenger either. Don't lift them up. Paul says, I didn't preach with wisdom or with eloquence. It wasn't my convincing words or my strategy that grew the church in Corinth. It was all God's power. It was the power of the cross at work to save sinners. And so to cause division over which messenger uh, you prefer is, well, it takes the focus away from Christ and his work. It denies the power of the cross uh, to save us. Imagine it a bit like this. Imagine you get, um, you get a big check through the post, not physically big, but, but with a big lot of numbers on it. You get it through the post. And it's a life-changing sum of money uh, that has been, has been sent to you. You wouldn't, I guess, in that situation, run, run down the street and catch up with the, the postman, the postwoman, uh, who, who had pushed it through your letterbox and shower them with praise. Oh, you wonderful postman, what an extraordinary thing you have done for me. You have changed my life forever. All other postmen are as nothing uh, compared to, to you and your glory. Now we laugh, and, and that, would, that would be daft. It might well be that you would want to thank that postman. Oh, thank you for delivering that really important envelope. But all the praise is for the one who sent the check to you in the first place, the one who has given you that life-changing check. They are the ones who have changed your life, not, not the messenger who brought it. So don't elevate anyone uh, to the position that only Christ uh, has. They'll only let you down, and it will only cause division uh, within the church. No human personality can, can bear that weight but Christ can. No human can unite all, all people from different walks of life and different places. Christ can. The reason that the cross is the antidote to these, these factions that are forming is that at the cross, everyone is equal. And there's, there's no one who gets a head start. There's no one who is above others. You know, at the cross, all of us are, are sinners in need of a savior. So instead of chasing around uh, after human leaders and for, forming little gangs, remember Christ and all he has done. Remember all he has done for you, his death in your place, which is God's power to save 
Um, the more we do that, I guess, the less uh, danger we'll be in of, of forming those little factions and those little groups. The more we make of him, the less we'll make of human leaders, wherever they are. The more we love him, the more we'll be united to our brothers and sisters rather than forming little factions. Um, we're about to share in the Lord's Supper, which is, among many things, the family meal of unity. I mean, it's striking, isn't it, that the two things that, that the New Testament would say prevent you uh, from having the Lord's Supper. There are two things in the New Testament. The, the first is that you haven't put your trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation. You're not part of the family. But the second is that there is division between you and a brother or sister. You might be in the family, but if, if you're not united to one another, well, then you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. That's how serious uh, division within the church is. So as you come to Lord's Supper in a moment, come, come because you have put your trust uh, in him. You do trust in the cross of Christ as the power for salvation. But come also to express unity with your brothers and sisters. And if there is division between you and, and another brother or sister, then maybe don't come. Use that time instead to, to pray um, to pray through that situation, to repent of wrong that you have done, to ask God to, to heal that relationship and to help you take whatever steps required uh, to attempt to heal that relationship. This is the family meal of unity because it is the Lord's Supper. It is in Christ that we are saved. Let me lead us in a prayer before we share together. Our Father, you know how easily we find it to, to find little things to divide over, to set ourselves apart from others, to exclude others. Father, you know how quick we are to, to elevate uh, our leaders in whatever capacity that is, to make them uh, the, the, the ones that we trust in, the ones that we cling to, the ones that we put our hope in. Father, thank you for your word that shows us the foolishness of, of, of our ways of living and thinking. Father, thank you that, that it was Christ who was, who was crucified for us. He is not divided. Thank you that as we come to him, we are united to him and to one another. Father, please help us to express that in the way that we live together and the way that we do life together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.